0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God, our Father. Amen. You, said the doctor to his patient, are in terrible shape. And unless you do something, you're going to die. You're under too much stress and you're eating too much and it's, you're just not even eating right. Tell your wife that she must start cooking a more nutritious meal for you. And help to reduce the stress. Have her keep the kids off your back so you can relax just a little bit more. And then make a budget and make her stick to the budget. If you do all this, I promise you, you'll recover completely. Otherwise, you'll be dead within the month. The man was obviously shaken and he told the doctor, Doctor, could you call my wife before I get home and and give her those instructions? When he got home, his wife rushed to him. I just talked to the doctor, she wailed. Poor man, you only got 30 days to live. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Now, I know what I wanted to do today is I want to take a look at an important truth that we all know, but that we don't often give enough attention to, and that's this. The dads need to be appreciated some of the time, if not more of the time than we do already. Dads are an incredible gift to us, much like moms are. They are, serve a different purpose in that family home, don't they? They provide a strength. They provide wisdom sometimes. They they provide a, 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 a wonderfully compatible person to mom who provides the sweetness and the care. These are people that we need as we grow up and, and when we have both of them. And, and some of us have had some great experiences and some of us didn't. But the idea of the dad, for those that didn't, is still hugely important. And so one of the things we want to do today Uh, I want to start by just going over three things for dads that they should think about, that they should keep in their mind about this role that God has given you. And one of the first things is this, that children often follow in the footsteps of their father. During the earliest years of a child's life, he or she usually spends a great deal of time with mom. Just the way she's equipped, it's the way things work out. But as the years pass along, a change comes into effect. And a father becomes an example, an attitude, and action that the child follows. So like it or not, the, the example that the father sets in the home about God and the church and about spiritual things will make an indelible impression upon the children as they, as they grow through life. It's something you just can't seem to get around. Fathers, somebody once said, are followed. And it's not something you can just delegate to mom. In many cases, we wish we could, but there's, you just can't seem to delegate those things that, that a father is. And so the father, God says, should be the spiritual leader in the home. There's a study that came out three or four years ago now, maybe even five years ago, and it suggested this, that if a mom, the study's about a mom and their kids, and, and they did several studies, many studies, I think the census was over 1,000, 1,500 families, in cases where the mom took their kids to church every single Sunday for 18 straight years. And the moms in those cases gave their kids a 27% chance of going to church for the rest of their life. In the cases where the dad came to, it shot up to 80%. That's a difference a father makes in the home. It's a difference in the way that the kids look at us. And it's the fact that they follow dad so often. Another thing that it suggests is that the best thing a father can do for his children is to love his mom. Is to love their mom. Next to the, his own close and personal relationship with God, a father's top priority should be to love his wife. Paul tells us in the Ephesians and the Ephesian husbands as well to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul says if there's that kind of love in the family, that family is indeed blessed. You know, I talk over and over. There's an order, actually, in, in, in where we should devote our time and, and, and the order of precedence. The top one is God. We are to love God above all things. Then comes our spouse, and then comes our kids, and then comes everybody else after that, right? But it goes God, spouse, and then everybody else. When you keep it in that order, everything works better. When you put your kids above your spouse, all of a sudden there's triangulation, and all of a sudden there's games, and all of a sudden there's there's uncertainty, and and some of the, the confidence that the children have in the family unit is broken. God says, God... Spouse, kids, when you keep it in that order, everything goes better. And then another thing, a Christian father will arrange to spend time with their children. And so no matter how fathers try to escape this idea, the fact remains that ultimately we control our time and can pretty well decide how it is that we're going to spend it. That is a 95, 99% truth. Fathers, I can say without a doubt that being a good father and a good husband is probably one of the most challenging things that we will ever do in our lives. It just is. The demands are constant. The the consequences are immense. But I also say this, if you're like most men, even those that may have had a poor or or harmful experience with their own fathers growing up, that you guys want to be good dads too. But to be a good father, you need a model, an example of a father that you can pattern yourself after. And if you didn't have a good dad, you desperately need that in your life. And so you start to think, well, where do I look for that? Is there a perfect father? And the answer is, yes, there is. And today, I want us to take a look at what we can learn from that perfect father that we have in heaven. And the first thing that we learn from looking at him is that he loves his kids. Something that as fathers, we need to do better and better. There are many passages in scripture, we talked about some of them last week, that speak about God's love for his kids. But another one of my favorites is 1 John four nineteen, where it says this, we love Because he first loved us. Dads, I want you to kind of picture in your mind that infant that you just brought home from the hospital. Or maybe that you're holding for the first time. And then hear those words again. We love because he first loved us. One of the reasons I think that's so neat is because it reminds us that God does not wait for us to meet expectations before he loves us. Again, think of the little baby in your arms. He does not wait for us to make him proud before he loves us. He does not wait until we measure up to his standards before he loves us. He just loves. He simply loves and he says, I loved you first. John goes on in that text to describe that that love is also complete and constant and unconditional, that we cannot earn it, that we cannot escape it, that we cannot, we cannot erase it. You not think of that child. And then think later on in their middle school years and high school years, he may be angry when we disobey him, or saddened when we stray from him, or sorrowful when we sin, but he never ever stops loving us. And that, is, I think, is one of the things that we need to know and remember when it comes to God's love for us and our love for our kids. Irma Bombeck once wrote When the Lord was creating fathers, he started with a tall frame. An angel standing nearby said, what kind of father is that? If you're going to make children so close to the ground, why do you have fathers up so high? He won't be able to shoot marbles without kneeling. He won't be able to tuck a child in bed without bending. He won't even be able to kiss a child without stooping. And God smiled and said, yes, but if I make him child size, who will the children have to look up to? And when God made the father's hands, they were large. And the angel shook his head and said, I don't think you want to make hands like that. Large hands are clumsy. They can't manage diaper pins or small buttons, rubber bands on ponytails, or even remove splinters caused by baseball bats. God smiled again, and he said, I know, but they're large enough to hold everything a small boy's empties from his pocket at the end of the day, and yet small enough to cup a child's face in his hands. Then God molded long, slim legs and broad shoulders, and the angel nearby almost had a heart attack. Boy, this is the end of the week, all right. He said, How in the world... How is he going to pull that child close to him without the kid falling between his legs? God smiled and said, a mother needs a lap, but a father needs strong shoulders to pull a sled and balance a boy on a bicycle or hold a sleepy head on the way home from the circus. God worked throughout the night, giving the father a few words, but a firm voice and a voice that saw everything. And finally, almost as an afterthought, he added tears. And then he turned to the angel and he said, now are you satisfied that he can love as much as a mother? An angel was silent. Irma wrote, Yes, God does us love his children. And you know what? So should we. Another thing that you find in Scripture when it comes to dealing with us as kids is God always seems to find ways to encourage his kids. I think that's something we would do well to model as well. A notice psychologist tells a story of when he was in school and a little boy, and he he kind of failed a math test. And the teacher actually wrote a note home uh, to his parents and sent it home with them that read this way. Your son doesn't have an aptitude for mathematics. He just can't handle math. So his mom and dad sat down with him and told him, I I guess you just don't have an aptitude for math. And so he said, I flunked every math test going forward. Then one day a teacher put out a problem on the board and asked the class to solve it, but nobody could figure out the answer. He said, I looked at the problem and suddenly I realized that I knew the answer, and so I held up my hand and everybody in the class laughed because they knew I couldn't do it. But I walked up to the blackboard, worked the problem out, and came up with the right answer. He said, it was then that I realized that it wasn't my lack of aptitude at all. It was just that everybody told me I couldn't do math, so I never tried. Now contrast that story with the love of God and how God throughout Scripture encourages His kids. He encouraged Moses with the burning bush and He told him that He would deliver the entire nation of Israel out of enemy hands. He encouraged Joshua as Joshua set out to conquer the Promised Land, not only to encourage him with his words but also with his presence and with his assurance. He said this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God saw the things that his children could do, and he encouraged them to go out and do it, to just go for it. He sees possibilities in us that nobody else sees. I think sadly many parents, no matter how spiritual or conscientious, are more prone to give messages laced with criticism and rebuke than they are encouragement. As a result, it's so important that we watch our words. The Apostle Paul challenges us with this. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then lastly, God also disciplines his kids. I know there's this strategy today or this theory today that we shouldn't discipline our kids. I've shared this before Pamela and we'll talk to parents and they say, Well, we don't believe in disciplining our kids It's our kids... That They're already three or four years old, and I'm thinking, how have you survived, you know? But the reality is that a a godly thing, a loving thing, actually involves disciplining our kids. Recently, I heard a story about triplets, three young boys who get along really well. They they see everything alike. They're loyal to each other. If somebody gets into trouble, um, they don't tattle on each other. So a neighbor one time asked his father, how in the world do you know which one of these boys to punish when when they're in trouble? He says, it's easy. I just send all three to bed without their supper and the next morning I spank the one with the black eye. Now, I don't know about this method for determining the guilty party, right? But I do know this. That God is a loving Father. That God is a perfect Father. That His intentions and actions are never evil toward us. I think lots of times in life things... Go negative things go bad in our life and we automatically blame God <laughs> but his actions and his intentions are never evil when those bad things happen they're not from God they're from the evil one and what God promises during those times is that he gets us through that he will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death he promises to sustain us to give us patience to give us courage to give us ability to overcome and yet he does discipline his kids he disciplines them not in spite of his goodness but because of his goodness. He does not discipline in spite of his love, but because of his love. In Deuteronomy 8, 5, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Or in Proverbs three twelve, it says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Or even the book of Hebrews that says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at that time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The man who disciplines his kids wisely, God says, reflects the character of God. It reflects a love for those kids. We discipline because we love our children. It teaches them responsibility, actually. Something that's, more and more absent in our society. It teaches them that wrong actions have negative consequences, a reality that seems to be missing from so many. It helps them to start living right. That's why we discipline our kids out of love for them. And finally, in the light of God's love and encouragement and discipline, we fathers must realize that it is our responsibility to bring children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That stat that said 80% of the kids will go if dad goes. And only 27 without him? It's the difference that dad makes. That all the way through Scripture, God's call is that, to us dads is to teach our kids about him. To grow them up in the training of the Lord. To model God's love for his children. And may that prayer be answered today in the families of this place. May we start some kind of Reformation in the North Phoenix area that begins with the families of St. Mark, that our community begins to see a difference between us and them and wants to be part of that difference. May our kids be blessed by that. We've just had a Mother's Day and a Father's Day today, and may we look at our parents differently and honor them especially. And may we pray God would send His Spirit and help us as we parent today. And all God's people said, Amen. Please rise.